Section 6 of State of the Union Addresses, 1849-1856. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mark Ernest. President Millard Fillmore, December 2, 1851. Part 2. It will be seen that the cash sales of the public lands exceed those of the preceding year, and that there is reason to anticipate a still further increase, notwithstanding the large donations which have been made to many of the states and the liberal grants to individuals as a reward for military services. This fact furnishes very gratifying evidence of the growing wealth and prosperity of our country. Suitable measures have been adopted for commencing the survey of the public lands in California and Oregon. Surveying parties have been organized and some progress has been made in establishing the principal base and meridian lines. But further legislation and additional appropriations will be necessary before the proper subdivisions can be made and the general land system extended over those remote parts of our territory. On the 3rd of March last, an act was passed providing for the appointment of three commissioners to settle private land claims in California. Three persons were immediately appointed, all of whom, however, declined accepting the office in consequence of the inadequacy of the compensation. Others were promptly selected, who, for the same reason, also declined. And it was not until late in the season that the services of suitable persons could be secured. A majority of the commissioners convened in this city on the 10th of September last, when detailed instructions were given to them in regard to their duties. Their first meeting for the transaction of business will be held in San Francisco on the 8th day of the present month. I have thought it proper to refer to these facts, not only to explain the causes of the delay in filling the commission, but to call your attention to the propriety of increasing the compensation of the commissioners. The office is one of great labor and responsibility, and the compensation should be such as to command men of a high order of talents and the most unquestionable integrity. The proper disposal of the mineral lands of California is a subject surrounded by great difficulties. In my last annual message, I recommended the survey and sale of them in small parcels under such restrictions as would effectually guard against monopoly and speculation. But upon further information, and in deference to the opinions of persons familiar with the subject, I am inclined to change that recommendation and to advise that they be permitted to remain as at present a common field, open to the enterprise and industry of all our citizens, until further experience shall have developed the best policy to be ultimately adopted in regard to them. It is safer to suffer the inconveniences that now exist for a short period than by premature legislation to fasten on the country a system founded in error, which may place the whole subject beyond the future control of Congress. The agricultural lands should, however, be surveyed and brought into market with as little delay as possible, that the titles may become settled and the inhabitants stimulated to make permanent improvements and enter on the ordinary pursuits of life. To effect these objects, it is desirable that the necessary provision be made by law for the establishment of land offices in California and Oregon and for the efficient prosecution of the surveys at an early day. Some difficulties have occurred in organizing the territorial governments of New Mexico and Utah, 
and when more accurate information shall be obtained of the causes, a further communication will be made on that subject. In my last annual communication to Congress, I recommended the establishment of an agricultural bureau, and I take this occasion again to invoke your favorable consideration of the subject. Agriculture may justly be regarded as the great interest of our people. Four-fifths of our active population are employed in the cultivation of the soil, and the rapid expansion of our settlements over new territory is daily adding to the number of those engaged in that vocation. Justice and sound policy, therefore, alike require that the government should use all the means authorized by the Constitution to promote the interests and welfare of that important class of our fellow citizens. And yet it is a singular fact that whilst the manufacturing and commercial interests have engaged the attention of Congress during a large portion of every session, and our statutes abound in provisions for their protection and encouragement, little has yet been done directly for the advancement of agriculture. It is time that this reproach to our legislation should be removed, and I sincerely hope that the present Congress will not close their labors without adopting efficient means to supply the omissions of those who have preceded them. An agricultural bureau, charged with the duty of collecting and disseminating correct information as to the best modes of cultivation and of the most effectual means of preserving and restoring the fertility of the soil and of procuring and distributing seeds and plants and other vegetable productions, with instructions in regard to the soil, climate, and treatment best adapted to their growth, could not fail to be, in the language of Washington in his last annual message to Congress, a very cheap instrument of immense national benefit. Regarding the Act of Congress approved 28th September 1850, granting bounty lands to persons who had been engaged in the military service of the country, as a great measure of national justice and munificence, an anxious desire has been felt by the officers entrusted with its immediate execution to give prompt effect to its provisions. All the means within their control were therefore brought into requisition to expedite the adjudication of claims, and I am gratified to be able to state that near 100,000 applications have been considered and about 70,000 warrants issued within the short space of nine months. If adequate provision be made by law to carry into effect the recommendations of the Department, it is confidently expected that before the close of the next fiscal year all who are entitled to the benefits of the Act will have received their warrants. The Secretary of the Interior has suggested in his report various amendments of the laws relating to pensions and bounty lands for the purpose of more effectually guarding against abuses and frauds on the government to all of which I invite your particular attention, the large accessions to our Indian population consequent upon the acquisition of New Mexico and California, and the extension of our settlements into Utah and Oregon, have given increased interest and importance to our relations with the aboriginal race. No material change has taken place within the last year in the condition and prospects of the Indian tribes who reside in the northwestern territory and west of the Mississippi River. We are at peace with all of them, and it will be a source of pleasure to you to learn that they are gradually advancing in civilization and the pursuits of social life. Along the Mexican frontier, and in California and Oregon, there have been occasional manifestations of unfriendly feeling and some depredations committed. I am satisfied, however, that they resulted more from the destitute and starving condition of the Indians than from any settled hostility toward the whites. 
as the settlements of our citizens progress towards them the game upon which they mainly rely for subsistence is driven off or destroyed and the only alternative left to them is starvation or plunder it becomes us to consider in view of this condition of things whether justice and humanity as well as an enlightened economy do not require that instead of seeking to punish them for offences which are the result of our own policy toward them we should not provide for their immediate wants and encourage them to engage in agriculture and to rely on their labor instead of the chase for the means of support various important treaties have been negotiated with different tribes during the year by which their title to large and valuable tracts of country has been extinguished all of which will at the proper time be submitted to the senate for ratification the joint commission under the treaty of guadalupe hidalgo has been actively engaged in running and marking the boundary line between the united states and mexico it was stated in the last annual report of the secretary of the interior that the initial point on the pacific and the point of junction of the gila with the colorado river had been determined and the intervening line about one hundred fifty miles in length run and marked by temporary monuments since that time a monument of marble has been erected at the initial point and permanent landmarks of iron have been placed at suitable distances along the line the initial point on the rio grande has also been fixed by the commissioners at latitude thirty two degrees twenty two minutes and at the date of the last communication the survey of the line had been made thence westward about one hundred fifty miles to the neighborhood of the copper mines the commission on our part was at first organized on a scale which experience proved to be unwieldy and attended with unnecessary expense orders have therefore been issued for the reduction of the number of persons employed within the smallest limits consistent with the safety of those engaged in the service and the prompt and efficient execution of their important duties returns have been received from all the officers engaged in taking the census in the states and territories except california the superintendent employed to make the enumeration in that state has not yet made his full report from causes as he alleges beyond his control this failure is much to be regretted as it has prevented the secretary of the interior from making the decennial apportionment of representatives among the states as required by the act approved may twenty third eighteen fifty it is hoped however that the returns will soon be received and no time will then be lost in making the necessary apportionment and in transmitting the certificates required by law the superintendent of the seventh census is diligently employed under the direction of the secretary of the interior in classifying and arranging in tabular form all the statistical information derived from the returns of the marshals and it is believed that when the work shall be completed it will exhibit a more perfect view of the population wealth occupations and social condition of a great country than has ever been presented to the world the value of such a work as the basis of enlightened legislation can hardly be overestimated and i earnestly hope that congress will lose no time in making the appropriations necessary to complete the classifications and to publish the results in a style worthy of the subject and of our national character the want of a uniform fee bill prescribing the compensation to be allowed district attorneys clerks marshals and commissioners in civil and criminal cases is the cause of much vexation injustice and complaint i would recommend a thorough revision of the laws on the whole subject and the adoption of a tariff of fees which as far as practicable 
should be uniform and prescribe a specific compensation for every service which the officer may be required to perform. This subject will be fully presented in the report of the Secretary of the Interior. In my last annual message, I gave briefly my reasons for believing that you possessed the constitutional power to improve the harbors of our Great Lakes and seacoast and the navigation of our principal rivers, and recommended that appropriations should be made for completing such works as had already been commenced and for commencing such others as might seem to the wisdom of Congress to be of public and general importance. Without repeating the reasons then urged, I deem it my duty again to call your attention to this important subject. The works on many of the harbors were left in an unfinished state, and consequently exposed to the action of the elements, which is fast destroying them. Great numbers of lives and vast amounts of property are annually lost for want of safe and convenient harbors on the lakes. None but those who have been exposed to that dangerous navigation can fully appreciate the importance of this subject. The whole Northwest appeals to you for relief, and I trust their appeal will receive due consideration at your hands. The same is in a measure true in regard to some of the harbors and inlets on the seacoast. The unobstructed navigation of our large rivers is of equal importance. Our settlements are now extending to the sources of the great rivers which empty into and form a part of the Mississippi, and the value of the public lands in those regions would be greatly enhanced by freeing the navigation of those waters from obstructions. In view, therefore, of this great interest, I deem it my duty again to urge upon Congress to make such appropriations for these improvements as they may deem necessary. The surveys of the delta of the Mississippi, with a view to the prevention of the overflows that have proved so disastrous to that region of country, have been nearly completed, and the reports thereof are now in course of preparation and will shortly be laid before you. The protection of our southwestern frontier and of the adjacent Mexican states against the Indian tribes within our borders has claimed my earnest and constant attention. Congress, having failed at the last session to adopt my recommendation that an additional regiment of mounted men specially adapted to that service should be raised, all that remained to be done was to make the best use of the means at my disposal. Accordingly, all the troops adapted to that service that could properly be spared from other quarters have been concentrated on that frontier and officers of high reputation selected to command them. A new arrangement of the military posts has also been made, whereby the troops are brought nearer to the Mexican frontier and to the tribes they are intended to overall. Sufficient time has not yet elapsed to realize all the benefits that are expected to result from these arrangements, but I have every reason to hope that they will effectually check their marauding expeditions. The nature of the country, which furnishes little for the support of an army and abounds in places of refuge and concealment, is remarkably well adapted to this predatory warfare, and we can scarcely hope that any military force, combined with the greatest vigilance, can entirely suppress it. By the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, we are bound to protect the territory of Mexico against the incursions of the savage tribes within our border with equal diligence and energy as if the same were made within our territory or against our citizens. I have endeavored to comply as far as possible with this provision of the treaty. Orders have been given to the officers commanding on that frontier to consider the Mexican territory and its inhabitants as equally with our own 
entitled to their protection and to make all their plans and arrangements with a view to the attainment of this object instructions have also been given to the indian commissioners and agents among these tribes in all treaties to make the clauses designed for the protection of our own citizens apply also to those of mexico i have no reason to doubt that these instructions have been fully carried into effect nevertheless it is probable that in spite of all our efforts some of the neighboring states of mexico may have suffered as our own have from depredations by the indians to the difficulties of defending our own territory as above mentioned are superadded in defending that of mexico those that arise from its remoteness from the fact that we have no right to station our troops within her limits and that there is no efficient military force on the mexican side to cooperate with our own so long as this shall continue to be the case the number and activity of our troops will rather increase than diminish the evil as the indians will naturally turn toward that country where they encounter the least resistance yet these troops are necessary to subdue them and to compel them to make and observe treaties until this shall have been done neither country will enjoy any security from their attacks the indians in california who had previously appeared of a peaceable character and disposed to cultivate the friendship of the whites have recently committed several acts of hostility as a large portion of the reinforcements sent to the mexican frontier were drawn from the pacific the military force now stationed there is considered entirely inadequate to its defense it cannot be increased however without an increase of the army and i again recommend that measure as indispensable to the protection of the frontier i invite your attention to the suggestions on this subject and on others connected with his department in the report of the secretary of war the appropriations for the support of the army during the current fiscal year ending thirtieth june next were reduced far below the estimates submitted by the department the consequence of this reduction is a considerable deficiency to which i invite your early attention the expenditures of that department for the year ending thirtieth june last were nine million sixty thousand two hundred sixty eight dollars and fifty eight cents the estimates for the year commencing first july next and ending june thirtieth eighteen fifty three are seven million eight hundred ninety eight thousand seven hundred seventy five dollars and eighty three cents showing a reduction of one million one hundred sixty one thousand four hundred ninety two dollars and seventy five cents the board of commissioners to whom the management of the affairs of the military asylum created by the act of third march last was entrusted have selected a site for the establishment of an asylum in the vicinity of this city which has been approved by me subject to the production of a satisfactory title the report of the secretary of the navy will exhibit the condition of the public service under the supervision of that department our naval force afloat during the present year has been actively and usefully employed in giving protection to our widely extended and increasing commerce and interest in the various quarters of the globe and our flag has everywhere afforded the security and received the respect inspired by the justice and liberality of our intercourse and the dignity and power of the nation the expedition commanded by lieutenant de haven dispatched in search of the british commander sir john franklin and his companions in the arctic seas returned to new york in the month of october after having undergone great peril and suffering from an unknown and dangerous navigation and the rigors of a northern climate without any satisfactory information of the objects of their search but with new contributions to science and navigation from the unfrequented polar regions 
the officers and men of the expedition having been all volunteers for this service and having so conducted it as to meet the entire approbation of the government it is suggested as an act of grace and generosity that the same allowance of extra pay and emoluments be extended to them that were made to the officers and men of like rating in the late exploring expedition to the south seas i earnestly recommend to your attention the necessity of reorganizing the naval establishment apportioning and fixing the number of officers in each grade providing some mode of promotion to the higher grades of the navy having reference to merit and capacity rather than seniority or date of entry into the service and for retiring from the effective list upon reduced pay those who may be incompetent to the performance of active duty as a measure of economy as well as of efficiency in this arm of the service the provision last mentioned is eminently worthy of your consideration the determination of the questions of relative rank between the sea officers and civil officers of the navy and between officers of the army and navy in the various grades of each will also merit your attention the failure to provide any substitute when corporal punishment was abolished for offenses in the navy has occasioned the convening of numerous courts-martial upon the arrival of vessels in port and is believed to have had an injurious effect upon the discipline and efficiency of the service to moderate punishment from one grade to another is among the humane reforms of the age but to abolish one of severity which applied so generally to offenses on shipboard and provide nothing in its stead is to suppose a progress of improvement in every individual among seamen which is not assumed by the legislature in respect to any other class of men it is hoped that congress in the ample opportunity afforded by the present session will thoroughly investigate this important subject and establish such modes of determining guilt and such gradations of punishment as are consistent with humanity and the personal rights of individuals and at the same time shall ensure the most energetic and efficient performance of duty and the suppression of crime in our ships of war the stone dock in the navy yard at new york which was ten years in process of construction has been so far finished as to be surrendered up to the authorities of the yard the dry dock at philadelphia is reported as completed and is expected soon to be tested and delivered over to the agents of the government that at portsmouth new hampshire is also nearly ready for delivery and a contract has been concluded agreeably to the act of congress at its last session for a floating sectional dock on the bay of san francisco i invite your attention to the recommendation of the department touching the establishment of a navy yard in conjunction with this dock on the pacific such a station is highly necessary to the convenience and effectiveness of our fleet in that ocean which must be expected to increase with the growth of commerce and the rapid extension of our whale fisheries over its waters the naval academy at annapolis under a revised and improved system of regulations now affords opportunities of education and instruction to the pupils quite equal it is believed for professional improvement to those enjoyed by the cadets in the military academy a large class of acting midshipmen was received at the commencement of the last academic term and a practice ship has been attached to the institution to afford the amplest means for regular instruction in seamanship as well as for cruises during the vacations of three or four months in each year the advantages of science in nautical affairs have rarely been more strikingly illustrated than in the fact stated in the report of the navy department that by means of the wind and current charts projected and prepared by lieutenant mowry 
the superintendent of the Naval Observatory, the passage from the Atlantic to the Pacific ports of our country has been shortened by about 40 days. The estimates for the support of the Navy and Marine Corps the ensuing fiscal year will be found to be $5,856,472.19, the estimates for the current year being $5,900,621. The estimates for special objects under the control of this department amount to $2,684,220.89 against $2,210,980 for the present year the increase being occasioned by the additional mail service on the Pacific Coast and the construction of the dock in California, authorized at the last session of Congress, and some slight additions under the head of improvements and repairs in Navy yards, buildings, and machinery. I deem it of much importance to a just economy and a correct understanding of naval expenditures that there should be an entire separation of the appropriations for the support of the naval service proper from those for permanent improvements at navy yards and stations and from ocean steam mail service and other special objects assigned to the supervision of this department the report of the postmaster general herewith communicated presents an interesting view of the progress operations and condition of his department at the close of the last fiscal year, the length of mail routes within the United States was 196,290 miles. The annual transportation thereon, 53,272,252 miles. And the annual cost of such transportation, $3,421,754. The length of the foreign mail routes is estimated at 18,349 miles, and the annual transportation thereon at 615,206 miles. The annual cost of this service is $1,472,187, of which $448,937 are paid by the Post Office Department, and $1,023,250 are paid through the Navy Department. The annual transportation within the United States, excluding the service in California and Oregon, which is now for the first time reported and embraced in the tabular statements of the department, exceeds that of the preceding year 6,162,855 miles at an increased cost of $547,110. The whole number of post offices in the United States on the 30th day of June last was 19,796. There were 1,698 post offices established and 256 discontinued during the year. The gross revenues of the department for the fiscal year, including the appropriations for the franked matter of Congress, of the departments and officers of government, and excluding the foreign postages collected for and payable to the British Post Office, amounted to $6,727,866.78. The expenditures for the same period, excluding $20,599.49 paid under an award of the auditor in pursuance of a resolution of the last Congress for mail service on the Ohio and Mississippi rivers in 1832 and 1833, and the amount paid to the British Post Office for foreign postages collected for and payable to that office, amounted to $6,024,566.79. Leaving a balance of revenue over the proper expenditures of the year of seven hundred three thousand two hundred ninety nine dollars and ninety nine cents. 
the receipts for postages during the year excluding the foreign postages collected for and payable to the british post office amounted to six million three hundred forty five thousand seven hundred forty seven dollars and twenty one cents being an increase of nine hundred ninety seven thousand six hundred ten dollars and seventy nine cents or eighteen point six five per cent over the like receipts for the preceding year the reduction of postage under the act of march last did not take effect until the commencement of the present fiscal year the accounts for the first quarter under the operation of the reduced rates will not be settled before january next and no reliable estimate of the receipts for the present year can yet be made it is believed however that they will fall far short of those of the last year the surplus of the revenues now on hand is however so large that no further appropriation from the treasury in aid of the revenues of the department is required for the current fiscal year but an additional appropriation for the year ending june thirty eighteen fifty three will probably be found necessary when the receipts of the first two quarters of the fiscal year are fully ascertained in his last annual report the postmaster general recommended a reduction of postage to rates which he deemed as low as could be prudently adopted unless congress was prepared to appropriate from the treasury for the support of the department a sum more than equivalent to the mail services performed by it for the government the recommendations of the postmaster general in respect to letter postage except on letters from and to california and oregon were substantially adopted by the last congress he now recommends adherence to the present letter rates and advises against a further reduction until justified by the revenue of the department he also recommends that the rates of postage on printed matter be so revised as to render them more simple and more uniform in their operation upon all classes of printed matter i submit the recommendations of the report to your favorable consideration the public statutes of the United States have now been accumulating for more than sixty years, and, interspersed with private acts, are scattered through numerous volumes and, from the cost of the whole, have become almost inaccessible to the great mass of the community. They also exhibit much of the incongruity and imperfection of hasty legislation. As it seems to be generally conceded that there is no common law of the United States to supply the defects of their legislation, it is most important that that legislation should be as perfect as possible, defining every power intended to be conferred, every crime intended to be made punishable, and prescribing the punishment to be inflicted. In addition to some particular cases spoken of more at length, the whole criminal code is now lamentably defective. Some offenses are imperfectly described and others are entirely omitted, so that flagrant crimes may be committed with impunity. The scale of punishment is not in all cases graduated according to the degree and nature of the offense, and is often rendered more unequal by the different modes of imprisonment or penitentiary confinement in the different states. Many laws of a permanent character have been introduced into appropriation bills, and it is often difficult to determine whether the particular clause expires with the temporary act of which it is a part or continues in force. It has also frequently happened that enactments and provisions of law have been introduced into bills with the title or general subject of which they have little or no connection or relation. In this mode of legislation, so many enactments have been heaped upon each other, and often with but little consideration, that in many instances it is difficult to search out and determine what is the law. The government of the United States is emphatically a government of written laws. These statutes should, therefore, as far as practicable, 
not only be made accessible to all, but be expressed in language so plain and simple as to be understood by all and arranged in such method as to give perspicuity to every subject. Many of the states have revised their public acts with great and manifest benefit, and I recommend that provision be made by law for the appointment of a commission to revise the public statutes of the United States, arranging them in order, supplying deficiencies, correcting incongruities, simplifying their language, and reporting them to Congress for its action. An act of Congress approved 30th September 1850 contained a provision for the extension of the capital according to such plan as might be approved by the President, and appropriated $100,000 to be expended under his direction by such architect as he should appoint to execute the same. On examining the various plans which had been submitted by different architects in pursuance of an advertisement by a committee of the Senate, no one was found to be entirely satisfactory, and it was therefore deemed advisable to combine and adopt the advantages of several. The great object to be accomplished was to make such an addition as would afford ample and convenient halls for the deliberations of the two houses of Congress, with sufficient accommodations for spectators and suitable apartments for the committees and officers of the two branches of the legislature. It was also desirable not to mar the harmony and beauty of the present structure which, as a specimen of architecture, is so universally admired. Keeping these objects in view, I concluded to make the addition by wings, detached from the present building, yet connected with it by corridors. This mode of enlargement will leave the present capital uninjured and afford great advantages for ventilation and the admission of light, and will enable the work to progress without interrupting the deliberations of Congress. To carry this plan into effect, I have appointed an experienced and competent architect. The cornerstone was laid on the fourth day of July last with suitable ceremonies, since which time the work has advanced with commendable rapidity, and the foundations of both wings are now nearly complete. I again commend to your favorable regard the interest of the District of Columbia, and deem it only necessary to remind you that although its inhabitants have no voice in the choice of representatives in Congress, they are not the less entitled to a just and liberal consideration in your legislation. My opinions on this subject were more fully expressed in my last annual communication. Other subjects were brought to the attention of Congress in my last annual message, to which I would respectfully refer. But there was one of more than ordinary interest, to which I again invite your special attention. I allude to the recommendation for the appointment of a commission to settle private claims against the United States. Justice to individuals, as well as to the government, imperatively demands that some more convenient and expeditious mode than an appeal to Congress should be adopted. It is deeply to be regretted that in several instances officers of the government, in attempting to execute the law for the return of fugitives from labor, have been openly resisted and their efforts frustrated and defeated by lawless and violent mobs, that in one case such resistance resulted in the death of an estimable citizen, and in others serious injury ensued to those officers and to individuals who were using their endeavors to sustain the laws. Prosecutions have been instituted against the alleged offenders so far as they could be identified and are still pending. I have regarded it as my duty in these cases to give all aid legally in my power to the enforcement of the laws, and I shall continue to do so wherever and whenever their execution may be resisted. The Act of Congress for the return of fugitives from labor is one required and demanded by the express words of the Constitution. The Constitution declares that no person held to service or labor in one state 
under the laws thereof escaping into another shall in consequence of any law or regulation therein be discharged from such service or labor but shall be delivered up on claim of the party to whom such service or labor may be due this constitutional provision is equally obligatory upon the legislative the executive and judicial departments of the government and upon every citizen of the united states congress however must from necessity first act upon the subject by prescribing the proceedings necessary to ascertain that the person is a fugitive and the means to be used for his restoration to the claimant this was done by an act passed during the first term of president washington which was amended by that enacted by the last congress and it now remains for the executive and judicial departments to take care that these laws be faithfully executed this injunction of the constitution is as peremptory and as binding as any other it stands exactly on the same foundation as that clause which provides for the return of fugitives from justice or that which declares that no bill of attainder or ex post facto law shall be passed or that which provides for an equality of taxation according to the census or the clause declaring that all duties shall be uniform throughout the united states or the important provision that the trial of all crimes shall be by jury the several articles and clauses of the constitution all resting on the same authority must stand or fall together some objections have been urged against the details of the act for the return of fugitives from labor but it is worthy of remark that the main opposition is aimed against the constitution itself and proceeds from persons and classes of persons many of whom declare their wish to see that constitution overturned they avow their hostility to any law which shall give full and practical effect to this requirement of the constitution fortunately the number of these persons is comparatively small and is believed to be daily diminishing but the issue which they present is one which involves the supremacy and even the existence of the constitution cases have heretofore arisen in which individuals have denied the binding authority of acts of congress and even states have proposed to nullify such acts upon the ground that the constitution was the supreme law of the land and that those acts of congress were repugnant to that instrument but nullification is now aimed not so much against particular laws as being inconsistent with the constitution as against the constitution itself and it is not to be disguised that a spirit exists and has been actively at work to rend asunder this union which is our cherished inheritance from our revolutionary fathers in my last annual message i stated that i considered the series of measures which had been adopted at the previous session in reference to the agitation growing out of the territorial and slavery questions as a final settlement in principle and substance of the dangerous and exciting subjects which they embraced and i recommended adherence to the adjustment established by those measures until time and experience should demonstrate the necessity of further legislation to guard against evasion or abuse i was not induced to make this recommendation because i thought those measures perfect for no human legislation can be perfect wide differences and jarring opinions can only be reconciled by yielding something on all sides and this result had been reached after an angry conflict of many months in which one part of the country was arrayed against another and violent convulsions seemed to be imminent looking at the interests of the whole country i felt it to be my duty to seize upon this compromise as the best that could be obtained amid conflicting interests and to insist upon it as a final settlement to be adhered to by all who value the peace and welfare of the country a year has now elapsed since that recommendation was made to that recommendation i still adhere 
and I congratulate you and the country upon the general acquiescence in these measures of peace which has been exhibited in all parts of the Republic. And not only is there this general acquiescence in these measures, but the spirit of conciliation which has been manifested in regard to them in all parts of the country has removed doubts and uncertainties in the minds of thousands of good men concerning the durability of our popular institutions and given renewed assurance that our liberty and our union may subsist together for the benefit of this and all succeeding generations. End of section 6. Recording by Mark Ernest.